Good morning. How are you all? Good. Uh, well, the, as Lorenzo mentioned, just at the start of the announcements there, uh, we are continuing in our series called More, uh, this series where we've been stepping into as a community, uh, what does it mean for us to receive all that God has for us uh, through the Holy Spirit, through his empowering personal presence? And so we've been making our way through kind of part one of this series that we've specifically been calling uh, Waiting on the Holy Spirit. We take that language from Acts chapter 1, when Jesus, on the other side of his resurrection, before his ascension to the Father, gathers up the disciples and says, hey, wait for the Father's promise. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And then they, they, they do that. They wait. And uh, what's been really kind of, kind of fun, I, I, I think, has been interesting, has been how much we've actually entered into that waiting. So we... Uh, at this point in the series, uh, the original plan was we would be like through prophecy and through tongues, getting into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we've just kept kind of adding on extra space um, of, of different things, where as we kind of got into those first two weeks of talking about the Holy Spirit as both the Father and the Son's promise, and, and talking about what it means to be filled with God's presence, with the Holy Spirit, um, we just sensed something within our community, and so we've added uh, two and, and now three weeks um, into before we even get to what's normally called the spiritual gifts. And so last week we looked at Psalm 103 and a pattern for renewal. This week uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 84. Um, so if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and begin to turn and tap your way there to Psalm 84? Did I say, yeah, Psalm 84. My brain for some reason was immediately like, that's not it. And I got very scared. Um, where I was like, uh-oh. Psalm 84 is where we're going to be. If you want to turn or tap your way there. So like I said last week, as we've kind of taken some time to wait to develop a hunger and desire for more of God's presence, the spirit within us, last week we kind of spent some time with Psalm 103 looking at a pattern for renewal that's found in that psalm. Uh, if last week was about a pattern of renewal, uh, this, this week is about the pursuit of renewal. Uh, the Pursuit of Renewal, which is literally, if you're taking notes, um, that's, that's like the title in my mind. I don't really normally do titles for my sermon, but this is about the pursuit of renewal. And so with that being said, Psalm 84, would you join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures this morning? Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow and a nest for herself, where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. Let's pray. 
Uh, so, Father, uh, we, uh, over the past few weeks as a community, have been uh, developing and longing for a desire for more. Coming out of last week, identifying um, the holy discontentment that many of us have with our current state of relating to you and experiencing you, and we have a, a desire for more. And so um, I pray that uh, Psalm 84 today would be a, a guide for our community on what it means to lean into and find all that your spirit has for us. And so we just pray that you'd speak. Uh, would you give us ears to hear, help us to uh, read this passage, not just as um, scripture necessarily, or even as poetry, but, but that it would be you inviting and speaking to us today. And we pray, amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, Psalm 84, before we get into it, just kind of a 30,000 foot view, uh, has a, a pretty simple structure. Um, so we'll talk poetry for a moment that hopefully will kind of help us see how this works. Three stanzas with four little verses each, and each of those stanzas holds um, a, that happy are those little line. You notice the repetition of the happy are those who, happy are those who. So they're in verse 4, verse 5, and then again in verse 12. And then those three little stanzas are divided by, you might have seen in your Bible that, that word selah. You have those two Selahs, these kind of like, it's a, it's a musical expression of pause, reflection, rest right there. And so you have this kind of three-part structure that we're just going to make our way through today. To kind of break it down a little bit further, uh, you could see uh, kind of where we're going and, and what each of these stanzas are. In the first four verses, it is um, the pursuit of renewal that begins with this intimate longing, this intimate passion. As it moves into verses 5 through 8, it takes on the form of a, a pilgrimage, a journey, a heart set on pilgrimage that looks like prayer. And then finally, it concludes with almost this beginning longing, this moving towards it through prayer, and then that experience of presence as the psalm concludes. So, so there you go. Like There's Psalm 84. So let's just dive in. Let's, let's begin to play around with the psalm and see what it's doing. If you look back with me in verse 1. Psalm 84 opens as a love song. When it says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies, the word for lovely there is, you know, I would say in Hebrew, it, um, it's related to the words for like um, lover or lovemaking. Um, it's actually connected to the word for lust. Like, so it's in that frame of that, which for us, English is like, well, yeah, lovely is connected to love or, or lover. But in Hebrew, there's a whole range of kinds of words for different sorts of kinds of loves. For us, it's like, you know, grandma, pizza, your wife, and like, you know, whatever, you know, TV show you watch. And you use love for all of those. And those are very different kinds of love, at least I would hope so, right? Of like, how do I relate to each of those things? And so um, Hebrew had a much more wide range of understanding of what we talk about when we talk about this thing that we call love. And so what's interesting is from the get-go, this language of how lovely is this language of uh, romantic, almost virtually like erotic is what most commentators would allude to, language as the psalmist looks to, at the temple. This language continues in verse 2 when he goes, um, I long and I yearn. Do you know, just notice that? How lovely, I long, I yearn for the courts of the Lord. And then at the end of verse 3, my heart and my flesh, my whole body are crying out. So there is this this intimate longing, this, this intimacy, this passion, this desire for, as the psalmist says in verse 1, your dwelling place, O Lord, the temple in Jerusalem, the courts of the Lord, the, the courts surrounding the temple. 
At first glance, it could seem like the psalmist has a lot in common with, um, if, if you might remember, Eliza Eiffel back in 2007. She married the Eiffel Tower. No one else remembers that? No? Okay. No? Okay. I thought most of us, that, that was like a thing that as I was reading, is like, oh, like, Eliza, I guess that made a, a bigger impact on my life than yours. <laughs> Um, but it does, I mean, like when we bring in this romantic language, this deep, intimate longing, and then we notice what, what's the psalmist talking about, and it's a, it's a building, at least at first glance. Because there at verse 2, it, it reminds us what we're talking about here. At the end of verse 2 is the longing and yearning for the courts of the Lord is set on parallel with a heart and flesh crying out for the living God. So this takes us right into the, the theology, the framework of the temple in the Old Testament. Their understanding is the temple in Jerusalem as the particular place where the living God, the presence of God was experienced, found, delighted in, entered into in a unique and particular way. Yes, God is king over all of creation, and yet he had made himself uniquely present there at the temple. And so this is what the psalmist is reflecting on and looks at the temple as, as the place where I experience and find God and says, I can't help but have this whole body, intimate longing and passion to be in the presence of my God, which specifically is the my God. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but at the end of, of verse three is the my king and my God. Notice the possessive pronouns that the psalmist used for talking about God. It's not just a desire to go to the temple because that's where, you know, God is, king of the universe and all that stuff. But my, mine, there's a language of, you know, you think of a, a groom watch, watching his, his bride-to-be walking down the aisle. Like, there, there she is. Like, she's mine. I am hers. She chose me. I, I, I cannot believe it. But that is mine. It's the language of Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is what the psalmist has welling up within him as he looks at the temple, as he considers God's presence made available to him. In verse three, he gets even more poetic for us. Even as a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself, where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies. What is, what is he talking? Birds all of a sudden. He's thinking about the presence of God. He's thinking about how God's made himself available in a unique and particular way there at the temple, in the courts of the temple. And he's, it seems as though he's not currently at the temple and he's looking out at it and he's remembering times when he had been there before, there for sacrifice or for the Jewish high holidays. And he remembers how in the rafters and up in the awning in the rooftop of the temple, there are all these little birds that would make their nest up there. And so it's like he has bird envy, he go, man, that's, they're the ones who have it made. All, they're, they're perpetually sitting in the presence, of living and dwelling in the presence of God. The proximity that they have. I, it reminds me of uh, one of our, our favorite um, little bands uh, between my wife and I that we kind of have like, since we started dating, um, been listening to is the Avet Brothers from North Carolina. And they have an incredible little love song, short little ditty, uh, called I Wish I Was. And so when I wish I was, the, the poet, the singer, Seth Avet, goes through these three inanimate objects that he says, I wish I was this because of its proximity to, you know, the, the beloved. So he says, I wish I was a flame dancing on a candle high in the mantle. I could bring romance without any scandal, right? And then he moves on. And then I wish I was a tune 
that you sang in the kitchen, putting the groceries away or washing the, ditch, the, the dishes. And he says, I could move around your tongue and ease the tension. You're like, wow, right? Love song. And then he goes to the next one. Then he says, I wish I was a sweater wrapped around your hips, right? And then when it got too cold into me, you'd slip, right? So the whole thing is he's looking at his beloved and he's like, man, all of these inanimate objects that, are around, that get to be close and with her, that's what I want, right? So he's using it. That's, this is, that is precisely what Psalm 84 verse 3 is in the Bible. It is the I wish I was of the temple, but instead of a tune or a flame or a sweater, it's the birds that get to just be close to the presence of God all day long. And so this is the longing that the psalmist has, which then builds up into verse four. How happy are those who dwell in your house? How happy are those who reside likely talking about both the birds but also the priests in the temple who praise you, that is, behold you. They are with you, delighting in you continually. So the, the psalm opens with this intimate longing and passion for the temple of God, specifically as the place where the presence of God was experienced. And what's fascinating, as we've been talking about within the series over and over again, is that this very same presence, this very same spirit of God that was meeting and available to people in a unique and particular way in the temple is no longer located simply within Jerusalem. Through the work of Jesus, this delighting and this desire for a deeper experience is, is for those who have been saved and redeemed and called and following Jesus, it is the spirit, that presence, he is in you. As, a, as close to you as your breath. So there is no longing or looking out to Jerusalem and buying plane tickets and waiting. It is as close to you as the, your, your own body. 1 Corinthians, you'll see behind me verse uh, 16 of chapter 3. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit lives in you? So, the thing, I just, I mean, this, this, with this guy, with all of his love and deep, like, passion and intimacy for the temple, I just can't imagine what his experience would be if he were to live on the other side of Pentecost. For him to live on the other side of the filling work of the Holy Spirit. Here he is, looking out at a distance, desiring with all that's within him to be in the presence of God. And the gift that we have on the other side of the work of Jesus is that that very same presence is right here with you and with me today. Available to us every single moment. And so this is just this fascinating wonder that this deep intimacy and passion and longing is not placed on a, on a particular place, um, but as we could, I, we might say it, but is, is now found within living at a particular pace of awareness to the Holy Spirit with us at each moment. What Brother Lawrence referred to as practicing the presence of God. Is what, 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 if we were to write Psalm 84 in our time, these first few verses would be, God, my, my desire is to be as attentive and aware to your presence at each moment like the birds that, would that used to live in the temple. That I would be a perpetual priest, always living within the presence, beholding and praising you continually. And so that's, that is what's within you. That is, if you are in Christ, the spirit is in you. Your body is a temple. This kind of life that, that caused the psalmist to apparently just overwhelm with desires available to you and me. 
And it meets us not just in ourselves individually, but then as we gather corporately as a people for this space right here and right now, there is also, too, a unique way that the Spirit of God meets us in this space. So when you take all of this together, uh, J.A. Moyer, in his commentary on uh, Psalm 84, he, he go, he's like most commentators, he goes on forever and ever and ever. And most of what I'm trying to do and it is you know, t- taking a lot of those commentaries and summarizing them into just a few words because they'll just talk forever. Like the Hebrew here, is it? And then you just go for pages on one word. And you're like, oh my gosh, right? But I, it was so impactful because he opens his commentary on Psalm 84 with just a line. He says, this psalm rebukes our meager spirituality. Before ever getting into like all the heavy lifting of the Hebrew and what's going on in the context of the temple and all this kind of, this psalm rebukes our meager our low, our, our, our sense of spirituality, that this is not the primary posture and desire that we have living within us for our experience of the living God. And so that would just be the, the audit of this passage, of these first few verses before we get into the pursuit is this is the beginning place of the pursuit of renewal, a pursuit of experience the presence of God. And so the question to begin with is, is this where I am? Am I at the place where the dwelling place of God is lovely, where I can truly say in my heart and my flesh, cry out for the living God, that I've got a longing and yearning, I've got bird envy for the, am I at that place? And if I'm not, we go, then, then you go back to last week in Psalm 103, and you repeat that, that work of remembering who God is and what he's done to you until we get to this place. So this is the, the delight that's available to us. So where does it go? Once we do begin to get to that place where we have that deep longing for the presence of God and an experience of that within our daily lives with the people that have been filled, verse five, happy are the people whose strength is in you. Eugene Peterson's message translates or this as simply, happy are the people in whom you live. To say that your strength is in God is to say that God lives in you. You have no strength apart from God. You have no life, energy, breath apart from God. It continues, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Hearts are set, are are focused in on the movement from my current place of where I am to the place of being in your presence like the birds and the priests. Happy are the people who that is the pursuit of their lives. More, all that the Spirit has for them. Those are the people who truly have the blessing in this life. The ones who have gotten to the place of not settling for the current status quo, but out of last week, that holy discontentment moves them into a pilgrimage, moves them into a journey deeper and deeper into the presence of God. Verse six talks about the journey of this pilgrimage, the places that it takes us. As they pass through the Valley of Baca. The Valley of Baca is an actual place, arid, dry valley. Um, but the, the Baca is a play on words. Uh, it can also be translated as um, the Valley of Weeping or the Valley of Tears. And so the desire for us to go from here into a deeper experience of the presence of God takes us through the valley that is like dry, arid, the Valley of Tears, the, the Valley of Weeping. It takes you through what objectively is referred to as the hard thing, the hard place. But what happens? They make it a source of spring water. That is, with e- as with e- the picture is with each step, as they step through the Valley of Baca, almost filling in their footsteps and prints as water welling up from the ground. And then 
Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. So notice from below, the spring is coming up and from above, the rain is falling down. The Valley of Baca becomes this place of water, abundance, and life. This past week, um, I fell in love with uh, Josh Tiason. Uh, he had an interview in um, Ecstasis magazine. Um, he's, he's one of the former, like, he's, I think he's 26, and he's this in- incredible um, surrealist painter. Um, and uh, he's a follower of Jesus. Um, and he's, these, these paintings take upwards of like 1,500 hours in some cases for him to do. That's how incredible they are. So I just want to show you this one because this has been, I saw this and I have been looking at it all week long. Um, so it's, it's, the, the picture is entitled Peace Like a River, which is taken from a similar vision of, of what the Valley of Baca is in the book of Isaiah, which is as the people come out of slavery into freedom, led by the spirit of God, they will go through the desert and this, this river, this of peace will be the thing that will guide them through it all. And so he envisions this uh, through the portrait of um, killer whales or orcas, um, some of this coming out of um, you know, him watching um, um, Blackfish and some of these other documentaries about capti- of these, what happens to orcas when they're in captivity. And so the vision that he gives is these orcas that have broken out of you know, captivity in amusement parks and now are making their way through all of this, and um, if you'll notice, on the left and the right, and then right here in the foreground, are um, skeletons of orcas. Literally, like, they are swimming and making their way peacefully through the place that was formerly a place of loss and death and pain. I'm just like, the Valley of Baca. Um, I've been thinking about this all week. And so for some of us, that art is a unique way that God speaks to us alongside poetry and the scriptures. Uh, I, re- I really wanted to get this, but... Um, his paintings are only like available as the originals right now, and um, they go for a lot. Um, <laughs> I sent Aaron the link, and I was like, "Could I buy this for my office?" She's like, "You're you're joking me right now." Um, um, but he, Josh is Josh is incredible, um, and I th- I think this this is the portrait of when we move on the pilgrimage, the very place that that would seem like it would be a hard going space becomes water welling up, and we're just this peaceful swimming as we make our way through. This is what continues in verse seven. They go from strength to strength, strength to strength. They make the journey, and and it's not simply that they make it, we got got here, we got to the presence of God, but the very journey of moving from this place into a deeper experience of the presence of God gives them strength as they move step by step. That's what this means by going from strength to strength. They're getting stronger. They're getting healthier. They're getting more filled with the energy and life of God as they make their way through the valley. It does not tear them down. It does not break down. As they are making the pilgrimage, they grow from strength to strength. Paul picks up on this language in 2 Corinthians and uses this strength to strength language. He says, now, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, Just notice the we're getting into the Trinity space there of the deity of the spirit alongside the father and the son. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. That is the image of Jesus from glory to glory, from strength to strength. You know, so Paul's, he's thinking about Psalm 84 and he can't read Psalm 84 with talking about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
He says, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so this is is the vision of what, what we're moving into the presence of God, this pilgrimage from where I am to where I want to be, that intimate longing for an experience of the presence of God. As I make my way through, I go from strength to strength. I go from glory to glory. I go moving in great. It is not a a, a ham-fisted fight to get my way through, but it is a, it's it's the orcas swimming through the peaceful stream. So how in the world is it able to offer this to us? Oh, it even says, sorry, at the end of verse seven, before we get into how, each appears before God in Zion. Zion being the Mount, Mount Zion where the temple is, where the presence of God was. Every, each person that desires and sets out on the journey from here into a deeper experience of the presence of God, they each, they each make it. That's an incredible promise. That's a, that's a blink and you'll miss it little promise. Each who make the pilgrimage journey, whose strength is in God, they will, they will appear. They will make it there. So how do they do that? Verse 8. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. So we, we have all this language of pilgrimage, all this language of moving from one place to the other, moving through the Valley of Baca to Mount Zion, to a greater and deeper experience of the presence of God. And how, verse 8 is the answer, how do we do that? How do we make that work? Here, prayer before God. Prayer before God. Hear my prayer. What prayer? I think it makes the most sense that it's the prayer of verse 2. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. The prayer that the end of verse 8 is calling on God to listen to is the prayer that was given in the beginning of, of back in verse 2. Me crying out to God. My heart and my flesh are longing for you. I want a deeper experience of who you are and what it means to be yours. And so, Holy Spirit, would you make that my experience? Would you submerge me deeper in that? That is the prayer that is the pilgrimage. It's a prayer that's um, also kind of mirrored in in Psalm 27, verse 4. Here's the prayer. I have asked one thing from the Lord. One thing I've asked of God, and this is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. And so again, for us, on the other side of the work of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit, for us, it's my desire is not to dwell in the house of the Lord. My prayer is, God, would you make me a house of the Lord? God, would you make me the place where I gaze on the beauty of you and seek you in your temple, the temple being my life as I'm going through it right here and right now? And so how do do you do? Prayer. Prayer is the way that you step into this. And so this happens like Lorenzo talked about, absolutely, in our Sunday gatherings in just a moment when we go into response. Absolutely. And it happens in our prayer nights that are coming up. We talked about on the 21st, 100% absolutely. For those of you that have some rhythm, which I would absolutely recommend as part of this, of of turning your heart to God in prayer at some key moments of your day, whether that's morning or morning and evening or morning and afternoon, whatever that may look like. But part of that Psalm 27 of the all the days of my life, that 24-7 desire to gaze on the beauty of God, to seek for him and his presence right here available to me, is cultivating what Paul calls praying continuously. Cultivating what Brother Lawrence called the presence of practicing the presence of God. Becoming aware to the very withness and nearness that God has with me at every single moment through the work of his Holy Spirit, as close as my breath. 
And so this comes as I, as I, as I begin to just cultivate a heart that goes, as I'm thinking about dinner plans with, with the kids or with friends, God, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think about that? Just talking with God about what I'm going through in each moment. Spirit, what, what do you think about this moment and, and how are you present to me? What do you think about where I dropped the ball earlier at work? What do you think about this meeting that I'm about to go into? Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you think about, about where, about, my social group and who, who am I not moving towards and who am I not seeing right now? Would you make, this is the space where like the prophetic that we're gonna get into in two weeks begins to happen. Most of the spiritual gifts happen when we've got this stuff going on first. So if you wanna see the prophetic, you wanna see healing, it begins by first having eyes that have been opened to asking spirit, how do you wanna move in my life and in this moment right here with me? And the more that we turn our attention to him, the more that those opportunities and means for us to gaze on his beauty, for us to see him emerges. Sandra McCracken, she's a musician. Um, I, I, we love everything that, that she does, but she has this incredible little quote. She says, the more that we gaze upon him being God, the more our lives are illuminated by the shimmer of his glory. It's like glitter in a preschool classroom. His glory goes everywhere. It stays, it sticks, it shines when you spend time near him. Like all of you have the experience with glitter at some level. <laughs> My uh, daughter went over to play at a friend's house yesterday afternoon and she came back with this, I'm not kidding, it's not like a piece of paper, a long like four foot roll with all these stickers and stuff that she had done and glitter that like apparently was just thrown on it. Like there's no adhesive involved. <laughs> So she comes in the house. House was wonderfully clean. It was a wonderful, you know, Saturday. And just like, look what we made. And just like, zhoosh. and now it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in my house. There's carpet. There's the dogs got glitter on the dog, right? You, we all know the experience of glitter. It gets everywhere and it sticks. It stays. And so the whole point is, as we cultivate that prayer of my heart and my soul long for you, I'm looking for you, not simply at some physical temple, but you in the temple that is my body and my life, that what happens is I begin to start noticing that the glitter is going everywhere. And I begin noticing the opportunities for that. But it begins in the posture of prayer. It begins in the posture of prayer. And this is, this is truly what it means back at the beginning of verse five. Happy are the people whose strength is in you. What does it look like for my strength, my life, my energy, my dependence, my reliance to be on God? It looks like prayer. You can measure your strength in God by your prayers. It is, it is that, that, if you want to measure, where, how, how much is my strength in God? How happy am I according to Psalm 84? How much is my heart set on a pilgrimage into the presence of God? You can measure it by your prayer. And I don't say this to shame, or to, but this is the invitation of the God who desires to be with you, but he is going to make himself available to you as much as you want to. So there's all the grace in the world. I'm going to talk about more of this in a moment. But there is, there is invitation of pursuit because this is a relationship. He is not in it for you to be a robotic automaton of his glory. But someone who is in relation with him. This goes back to the intimate longing at the beginning. This is what he desires and wants. So just notice where we've gone so far. We've gone from the intimate longing into the pilgrimage of prayer. At the end of verse 7, every person who desires to move deeper into the presence of God gets there. Each one arrives at Mount Zion. And what do they say in order to then step over the threshold? Verse 9, consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. 
For the psalmist, this is a, a reflection on the king, and the king is this mediating role between, like a priest between God and the people, the, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so here's what's so fantastic. I just, I love this psalm. I've fallen in love with it this week. It's we, we have a deep, intimate longing for the presence, more of the presence of God. We are pray our way into the presence of God. And then we, what, by what basis are we allowed to step into that deep experience of God's presence being available to us, big messes that we are? Consider Jesus. Oh, presence of God. Consider my, my shield. Consider the Messiah. Consider the one who has made the way for me to enter into this presence. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter into the sanctuary, the presence of God, through the blood of Jesus, through his death on the cross. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is the curtain that would divide the Holy of Holies, where the, the real hot spot of God's presence was. This giant curtain that only one guy, well, I've talked about this before, can go through. And so now through my shield, through the anointed one, he has made a new way through his flesh, his death on the cross. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed. This is precisely what's going on here. Look on the face of the mediator who has made a way for me to step over into the presence of God. Messy, sinful, broken, selfish mess that I am. Yes, moving one degree at a time into that glory and strength. But, oh boy, we got a ways to go. Able to step into the presence of the living God only through consider the face of the anointed. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done for me. And so from this place, the psalmist and with us, we're stepping over into the presence of God. And what is the experience of the presence of God? It's this overwhelming, incomparable greatness to everything else that we experience outside of it. Verse 10, better a day in your presence, better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. I would, rather, I would rather be at the threshold. I would rather be a greeter at the door, letting people in, and every now and then getting a glimpse into who God is and what he's up to than being at the center of the tent with, with anybody else. I'd, I'd, we talk all the time about like fear of missing out, FOMO, and like fear of better offer here, like FOBO. FOMO and FOBO. This is, this is the psalmist. My fear of missing out is on, on the presence of God and everything else can get lost. My fear of better offer is I have no better offer than the presence of, than not even the full, a glimpse of it is what the psalmist says. This is, this is, this is, this is the person who writes from a place of, he's not trying to sell you like a, a vacation to Cabo, but he's never been there. He's not the, you know, the, yeah, Hawaii, where should I go? Have you ever been? I've never been there. I've seen pictures, though. This is the, he talks this way because he's experienced it. He knows from the deepness of his heart that there is, this is true. There's nothing better. There's nothing comparable to an experience of the presence of God, which is big talk. And so in verse 11, he talks why. Four. So Why? Is the presence of God better than anything else? For, because the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So we'll stop on these first two. Talking about the Lord as the sun, this is language of when I am in God's presence, it is like I'm sun, like sunbathing. It is a walk 
in the beauty of, like the sun is shining, everything's alive and light. You can see where you're going. When I'm in God's presence, that's my experience. It's daytime in my heart and in my life. I can see all things. I have life. I have energy. He said, the, the Lord is, is, is his son. So, so to say no to being in his presence is to say yes to darkness and death. And so son is life and light. This is why he's uncomparable. He then goes on to talk about him as his shield. He's my protector. He's my defender. He is for me, not against me. And so I, I can dwell with safety when I'm in his presence. Notice there's a quick little bit right here that uh, the psalmist calls God the shield. And back in a couple verses ago, he called the Messiah, the anointed one, the shield. So is God the shield or is the Messiah, the anointed one, the shield? Now you're thinking like a Trinitarian. So... <laughs> Right? No, just notice that little bit there. So that here we have the sun and the shield. So why is nothing else comparable? Because God is the sun. There's lots of other little lights. The sun is the light, the life-giving light by which we don't have that. Things are going to get cold and dark and dead pretty quickly. And he's my, my shield in a life of things attacking and coming against me. He is my place of safety and my place of security. Even more than that, the Lord grants favor and honor. It can be translated, the Lord grants grace and glory. What more? What more could you describe the presence of God as an experience of God's grace? Him giving to us what we have not earned, the forgiveness, the life, the, the, the son, like that, that kind of like, that has all been given to us by God's grace, not because of what we've done or what we haven't done, but because of, he's gracious, because he's good. In his presence is grace, and in his presence is glory. That, and even more than he generously gives us his glory, that he fills us up to be the image bearers that we were made to be, creating and making us into, as Paul said earlier, transforming us into that same image. And so to be in God's presence is the place of grace, a deeper assurance of my forgiveness and life with God, but also glory, the highest of who I've been called to be and who he's making me into. In his presence, I'm reminded of his grace and I'm invited into his glory. He continues that he does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. He doesn't withhold the good. He doesn't withhold the good. Whatever you, what's the good that you need? I don't know. I do, I, have a really, I do a really bad job of choosing for myself between what's good and what's bad for me. Just, it's like my diet. Like it's just, we'll, we'll show you that. Like what's good for you? Well, there's a lot of, like, I, I'm trying to think of examples that won't make me self-conscious um, about, about the bad foods that I eat. But I'm a, bad, I'm a bad judge of what's good and what's bad for me. And a lot of the things that I think are good for me end up a few years later to be the thing that was bad for me. And this is when I'm in God's presence, I can just trust that in my life and what I'm receiving from him is the good. He's not going to withhold the good for me. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to hold back the bad. There does seem to be some level of shield and protecting. But it does mean he's not withholding the good. This is, what is the, this is why the psalmist has the intimate passion and longing for God's presence. This is what I experienced there. This is why he makes the pilgrimage, because there's nothing comparable to that. And so I, through prayer, am going to do all that I can to enter into that space, to enter into that relationship. But notice that all of this isn't automatic. At the end of verse 11, the Lord does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. From those who live, the language is complete or whole. The idea is undivided self. 
that their whole attention is set, like we saw in Psalm 103, my whole attention is set on the presence of God. I have a lot of other priorities, and it's not that I don't hold those things, but the priority at the center of my life is the presence of God, is the Spirit of God at work in experiencing him and also then being empowered by him through all of those other priorities. It doesn't, this doesn't mean that we all move away and become anchorites living in the desert. What this means, the wholeness, the integrity, the whole self-living is that I am fully devoted to this. And so that doesn't mean that the integrity is language of being perfect, but it's language of being honest. It's language of being vulnerable. It's, it's language of being holding the truth of who I actually am. See, the person with integrity isn't the person that's perfect. The person with integrity is the person who owns the places that they're not. And so the one who enters into the presence of God, the one who does not need to worry about God withholding anything good from me is the person who once again is not perfect, but holds my faults, my failures, my mess, my highs, my lows, all of it fully on display before God and holds at the middle of it all a desire for more of God at the very center. And so this is the invitation is into the life of integrity or as verse 12 puts it, happy is the person who trusts in you. Happy is the person who trusts, who relies, whose strength is in you, as it said earlier. Happy is the person who depends on you. Happy is the person who surrenders their whole self over to you, God, who lays themselves down and says, the thing that I want most, that not just lays themselves down, lays all that they have down and says, the one thing that I need to hold in my hands, to hold close to my heart, is the very presence of God available to me in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is is what I trust in, that's what I rely on, that's what I surrender myself to, that's what I desire, that's what I need. Happy is the person who trusts in the Lord. And so just notice here that the movement of where we've gone today as we begin to kind of wrap up is beginning in this place of intimate passion and longing that moves into the pilgrimage of prayer that then moves into a, a greater experience of God's spirit, his presence with and among us. And so I just... You know, it's similar to like, you know, Google Maps or Apple, whatever it is, the thing that you use, is just to name, where are you in this journey? Where, 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 where do you name yourself as belonging? For some of you, it's like, I haven't gotten to the place of intimate longing yet. Like, that that kind of heart for the presence of God is not the experience that I have. And, and maybe, there, just to say, for some of you, maybe that, that, that is there, but you're like, man, it's not as strong as that. It's there. Like, that's... That's, 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 you don't, don't wait for all the, the heart and the love stuff to be there if, it's, if it is there in some level, if that makes sense. But just to name, okay, am I at the place of intimate longing? If not, go back to last week and just upload, do not forget his many benefits. That's how you get there. And if I, if I would say I am at the place where that's truly my deep, intimate passion and longing is for more of the presence of God, then have you entered into the pilgrimage of prayer? Have you entered into the work of praying and opening yourself to God on a regular basis saying that, Jesus, you are what I want. Jesus, my heart and my soul long for you. And then for some of you, you are in the space of experiencing the presence of God where what is talked about here is your experience on a semi-regular basis. And the invitation of where this is going to go that I want you to start to open yourself up to is the reason that God does this work through you is so that he can do a work through you. And that's where we're gonna be going next week when we begin to talk about the work of the spirit through the church. But I just, just to name, where am I? And what does it look like for me to take one more step today? 
And so for some of you, it's I'm coming in right now and I am apathetic and cold and tired and I think I would want and desire and passion for just about everything other than the presence of God at this stage in my life. That's okay. So this, let's attend to it. What, what's going on within my heart that the incomparable delight that's found in the presence of God is not the thing that I'm holding at the center? What am I holding there then? What is the thing that I'm passionately longing for? And is it able to promise and give me anything like what the psalmist is describing here? And then for some of you, you're in the place of intimate longing, but, but it, it just, it, it's like some of, <laughs> this is gonna be stinky, but um, it'll be true. <laughs> Those of us who stay in the place of intimate longing but don't move into the pilgrimage of actually doing something about it in prayer are like some, some of the guys in our church who like are attracted to, to one of the gals in the church, but like they're so worried about stepping out and risking anything for the relationship. And so they just sit there with all of the feelings that they have for her. And it's like, okay, Step into saying and doing something. Who said amen? Where was it? Some of the ladies in the back. It was Rachel. So in the same way, fellas, uh, no, this is not what that sermon, the sermon's about. But, but I, there, there is a very real part of our spirituality where we sit with a desire for more of God, a desire, an intimate longing and a passion. My heart and soul yearn for you. And yet the step out into actually pursuing that is the risk that is prayer is the terrifying reality that I don't know how long it might take for me to find it. I don't know what I'm gonna have to give up in order to get it. I don't know what it's gonna cost of me. And I'm also holding out the absolute fear that God might light me down. I can sing about his faithfulness all day, but the way that I actually begin to experience that is by stepping out into the risk that is opening myself to God in prayer every single day. The psalmist is someone who's come to the place of saying my king and my God because he's done that. And so for those of us that you are in that, that seat, you're in that place of longing and praying, that pilgrimage of prayer, you're moving out. The whole thing is you just keep walking in that place and sooner or later you're gonna find your steps are gonna move in and you're gonna find a deeper awareness and experience of the spirit and the assurance and the life of God within you. And so today is just a name. Where are you in, the, where are you in that journey? And what is the spirit inviting you as he's, he's wooing you and calling you into a deeper experience of him? What's the next step for you today? And so we're gonna, that might be more than what can be done in a time of response on a Sunday. I would imagine it de definitely would be. But as we move into time of response, this is just an opportunity for us to begin to take that first step on the pilgrimage of prayer into a deeper experience of the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and, and we'll move into a time of, of responding to the Spirit.